This episode of the podcast is brought to you by That Sober Guy Meetings. Go to thatsoberguy.com, click on the live meetings tab, and see when the next one is available. These are live online meetings from your iPhone, iPad, Droid, desktop, laptop, or your phone. You can dial in and just listen. You can talk. You don't have to leave wherever you're at. It's not a replacement to the traditional support group. What it is, is another tool to add to the arsenal to fight alcoholism and addiction. The guest today I'm having is Melissa Walsh. And wow, what a story I just heard. I do these pre-recorded introductions afterwards. And uh, one of the most amazing stories I've heard of hope, inspiration, um, going through Something that I can't even imagine going through. And for this young woman to be in the state of mind that she's in today um, is is truly amazing. And she gave some valuable advice and uh, just just a great outlook on life, you know, and how appreciative we really need to be on the little things that we're able to do, like brush our teeth, comb our hair. You know, use the use the bathroom, take a shower, just these little things, feed ourselves. Um, Melissa was 18 and she was a good young woman getting ready to go off to college. Um, you know, she had friends, she was athletic, uh, smart, all of the things that that a, that a normal, um, you know, normal young woman uh, could possess. And uh, she made one bad mistake one night. She drank and drove. And she woke up as a paraplegic. And um, so she's going to share that story with us. And she's going to talk a little bit about uh, what happened and how she dealt with uh, the aftermath of that and what she's doing today. So uh, once again, here's Melissa Walsh. You're listening to that Sober Guy podcast on Recovery Radio. Living one day at a time for a sober, healthy, happy life. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com. And now, let's start the show. All right, I'm here with Melissa Walsh today. Melissa, how you doing? I'm doing amazing. How about yourself? I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to come on that Sober Guy podcast and share your story. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. I'm pumped. Yes, it's uh, it's quite the amazing story. And when I when I found it, um, I thought that uh, it would be great to share with our audience. Um, and uh, the first, I, I guess, we'll just kind of kind of jump right into it. Maybe you can take us back to um, your life, uh, you know, growing up and and before the accident. All right. Well. Let's see, where to start? I mean, growing up, I lived in a pretty normal household, a mom, dad, two brothers. I went to private school most of my life, and um, I worked at a local grocery store once I turned 15. I got a job right away. I've always been um, a pretty motivated person, just always very active and a lot of energy and just, you know, just want to always do things. And going through school, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't say I necessarily got involved with the wrong people, but together hanging out, we didn't always make the right choices. So halfway through my junior year, you know, I just wanted to get out of this private school and I wanted to go to a public school. I just felt like, you know, I was being babied was the excuse. I wanted to grow up and I just wanted to do more of the public school things that my friends were involved with. So 
So I talked to mom and dad and they really weren't, you know, all for it. They tried to talk me out of it, but I just kept begging them and they finally said, okay, you know, Melissa, we'll give you a chance and if you do good and you make good grades, then, um, you know, we'll see what goes from there. And I said, all right. So I transferred and halfway through my junior year, again, I didn't get involved with the wrong people, but, you know, I started making new friends. I was out of school. I didn't know anybody. And, you know, together we just, we didn't make the worst choices, but if there's alcohol and, you know, parties and things to do under that nature, we would do it and we didn't think twice about it. Um, when it came to drinking and driving, I never, I never second guessed that it was a wrong thing. My parents always told me, you know, like, hey, don't do this unless the bad things will happen. But, you know, when you're growing up, all you can think is how, like, is it really going to happen to me? Or, you know, just look at the invincible mindset. And so I did. I mean, if there's parties, I'd go to them. If there's alcohol, I would drink it. I never thought twice about driving home. I never once told my parents what I was doing. I didn't want to get my truck taken away. I didn't want my dirt bike to be gone. I just, I, like, I didn't want to deal with the consequences. So they just didn't know. Uh, if that involved sneaking out, I would sneak out sometimes. I just did whatever I had to do to think I was having a fun time. And um, it's very, very, definitely very selfish you know, centered life, but, you know, you're growing up and, you know, it just seems normal, so you do it. Well, um, I was dating a guy and that um, ended, it slowly started to end, you know, after graduation, and I've, I've always been a very fearless person, and when it came to just, you know, being single, all of a sudden I just got a little bit more careless, and I started making worse choices, and that involved just going out and drinking a lot, and that's what um, led into probably the week before everything happened when I just started getting more careless and more fearless and going out every night. And then I think the reality of that, of that whole situation of high school. Um, and I'm trying, I'm trying to remember back, you know, like I, I know for, for me in high school, like that, like the normalcy bias of drinking and whether you played sports or you were an athlete, you were a, a rocker, a rapper, like the, the bad kid, the good kid, like it didn't matter really. Like, <laughs> Every, you know, everyone in a sense kind of, there's just like this, I don't know if it's going with the flow, trying to be cool. Like it's just, it's, it's very acceptable, I guess, in a sense. And you're right in the fact that I think a lot of us were warned, you know, don't do that. Um, you know, bad things will happen and you never, ever think that it would, that it would happen to you. It's like, oh, okay. You know, yeah, you hear about that kind of stuff, but I mean, uh, who, who actually thinks that something could actually happen? Um, would you... Yeah. Would you say that that going like how much peer pressure is involved in in high school? You know, because I, I know that I know that that can be a, a really big thing in high school for kids. You know, trying to fit in. Um, was that something that that you experienced a bit, or did you have friends or know other people that had experienced that? I mean, I think peer pressure definitely is a really real struggle when you're growing up, and you know, forget about just the, the friends or the people that they're trying to be cool with. Like, what about all the enter the entertainment and the media and the TV shows and the music that we listen to that feeds us and tells our minds that, you know, like, this is normal and drinking and going out and partying, like, that's fun and you should do this and that's the way to live and, you know, you're going to be cool that way and you're not friends. And I totally, I like, I remember watching TV shows or hearing certain songs and be like, oh, man, I totally want to go out and get wasted tonight or or go see so-and-so and see what's going on at their house, or, you know what I mean? Like, the peer pressure definitely um, is a very strong thing, and I, I, I totally remember, I mean, it's hard for me to tap back into it now. It's been about, I don't know, seven years since I graduated, um, but trying to remember those exact emotions. 
I don't remember necessarily feeling like someone was like forcing a drink down my mouth, but I do remember being in these house parties with people and everybody was drinking, you know, people would be like, Hey, like, why aren't you drinking a beer? Like take a shot with me or why don't we like play some beer pong or watch you this beer bong, you know, like just, you know, then like being around you and just saying, you know, like that's enough peer pressure. And yeah. I do totally remember being involved at those exact moments. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you don't, nobody wants to feel like the square who doesn't want to have a good time, you know, at, at the party or whatever. And, uh, yeah. Man, like, thank you for bringing up the point about the media and the culture and that that's that that sense of, um, you know, this is OK. This is how you should be. Um, we have reality television and this is how you should live your life if you're not super skinny and you don't have a shit ton of money and all this like you must be weird. Or there's something wrong with you. And I know I kind of put it in my own words in that. But th I mean, that's that's kind of my little twist on it as well. I think that's one of the best points that has been brought up from a guest on this show yet, because I talk about it often, uh, not just on the show, but just in, with my friends and family and stuff too. And, um, you know, with two young kids myself, that's something I think about, like, what do I, what are they watching? Like, what are they seeing? What are they, you know, what, what is being imposed on them on this, on this, it's almost like psychological warfare in a sense. I mean, would you yeah. agree, would you agree, you know, to, to that? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you hit it right on. It's real. And it's sad because these are like the biggest distractions that are in our lives and they're strong distractions and they pull people down so hard because it just comes off as being right and so normal. And the sad fact is, is that it's not. And you've got to learn how to separate yourself. You've got to learn that you can watch these TV shows. You can listen to this music. But that's not real. Like, that's not reality. You have to separate yourself from it. Yeah, great, great point. And I think that for... You know, for some for somebody who's listening out there that might be in high school or a young adult or going through some of these things, um, like listen to what Melissa just said. Like these these things are not reality. They're not real. Okay, they're for entertainment. Some of them, and some of them are good entertainment, and some of them are are not good entertainment. And so we have to be able at a young age to be able to use our our brains and critically think about these things. And um, I guess it's just right from wrong too. You know, doing the next right thing. Uh, we all know that sometimes at, at a young age, that's a difficult thing to do. You know, we're not always in, in our most mature state of mind at, you know, 16, 17, 18, we'd like to think we are, but, uh, but we're not. So, um, so let's move on a little bit, Melissa, um, take us to, take us to the night of the party that you went to. Well, I got off of work and, um, I had a friend who had just recently, gone through a breakup as well. So we kind of mentally were on the same uh, same place where, you know, we we're both single. College was starting in a week. We just graduated high school. And I'm like, get off of work. And I texted her. And I was like, hey, I was like, do you want to do something tonight? And she was like, yeah. She's like, I'm off and over and you get off. And I was like, all right. So I got home and um, she comes over. And I remember my mom and my aunt were home and they were trying to tell me like, Melissa, we never see you, like, ever. Like, why don't you hang out with us tonight? We, like, we don't even feel like you're part of the family. Like, you're always off doing stuff. Go, go, go. And I was like, yeah, okay. And I was like, I'm just working a lot and having fun. I was like, I'm trying to enjoy my last couple of days before college is starting. And um, whatever. And, you know, I told her, and I was like, we're going to go grab dinner. I don't know what we're going to do tonight. We might just come home after that. Uh, but um, I'll text you or I'll give you a call, Mom. And she said, all right. Um, she said, just give me a call later. And, We'll see what um, goes on. And I was like, all right. So we leave, and me and Leanne, her name is Leanne, she was in my passenger seat with me, and we go to Taco Bell. 
um, getting to Taco Bell, we were trying to figure out, you know, because we were, cause we were, we were out of the house now. We're like, let's just do something tonight. But we didn't know what to do. Like, you know how it goes. You're just trying to figure out what's going on. We're only 18, so we weren't legal enough to go, like, go out somewhere and, like, go out and do things yet. So, you know, it came down to house parties and seeing what people we went to high school were doing. So we were texting people, and we ended up going to this guy's house where she knew a guy that was there, and I knew a guy that was there from high school. And um, when we get there, this was in August. I don't remember if there was, like, football or something on, but I do remember they were watching some type of sport, and um, there was, like, six guys, and they were drinking beer. Um, and getting there, you know, they were offering us beers, like, hey, they're in the fridge. Um, you guys are really welcome to have whatever you want. Um, and we were like, no, like, honestly, we're good. We didn't feel like drinking. So probably, like, about an hour of, like, hanging out and just being with these guys. Um, they just kept, you know, offering us beer. And we're just like, no, 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 we're good. Like, we promise we're good. But then they started up the beer pong table, and they said they needed more players. Um, so me and Leanne, we said, all right, I guess, like, we'll play. Maybe we'll have a beer or whatever. Uh, about, I don't know, say two more hours after that, it was getting close to my curfew. And at that time, I had had a couple beers. I even did a beer bong, which had half a beer in it. And, um, you know, I probably had, like, probably four beers at that point. And, like, it was getting close to 1 o'clock in the morning, and my curfew was 1 o'clock at 18, and I was having so much fun that I texted my mom, and I was like, hey, Mom, I'm going to sleep at Leanne's house. And um, Leanne told her parents she was going to sleep at my house. So we kind of lied to them, and we just decided that we were having too much fun to go home, so let's just sleep at this guy's house. Like, why not? Well, probably, I'd say another hour after that goes by, and I just started getting really uncomfortable. I, I don't know if it was, like, a mix of the alcohol, you know, the breakup, being around guys. Like, I like I really didn't want to sleep there. So, I like, I totally analyzed the chaos. Like, I'm going to go home. And she tried to talk me out of it. Uh, she was like, Melissa, let's just sleep here. Like, we can leave in the morning. And I've always been a very stubborn person. If I don't feel right doing something, if I don't want to be there, I'm not going to be there. So, I was like, no, I was like, I'm going home. And you can come with me if you want. I can get you in the morning. Like, it's totally up to you. And so she said, all right, I'll come with you. And we get in my truck, and I told my friend, I was like, hey, I was like, I'll text you when I get home. And he said, all right. So we get on this road, and I probably had to be halfway home at least. And I get to this traffic light, and the light was red, but the um, after the light, the two lanes that were on my side of the road, they'd merge into one. No big deal, but this guy in a red infinity, he pulls up next to me, and he's trying to get our attention. And... We were just giving him dirty looks. My windows were down because my AC had actually just broken a couple days before that. Like, something just went bad. I don't know what happened. But my windows were down, and the guy's, like, looking at us, trying to get our attention. And we, like I said, were giving him dirty looks. We're like, no, like, we're not interested. And the light turns green, and as our two lanes merged into one, he actually cut me off. And I was like, okay, like, I got a little bit mad. Maybe the the alcohol, like, gave me a little bit more courage, I don't know, but, I like, I got mad. And I wasn't the distance that I should have been from him, and um, he hit his brake. Well, I hit my brake, and the back end of my truck started sliding off the road. But I was actually able to recorrect and get back on the road, um, but based on the marks on the road and the police report, I guess I got 100 feet further down the road, and my tire just caught the shoulder. And neither one of us were wearing seatbelts, neither me or Leanne. And we both went down the windows that were down. Um, we, got, we got ejected from my truck. I think my truck slipped about five times. And the man in Red Infinity, he, he never stopped. 
and there wasn't anybody else on the road that night, but there was a man who was sitting on his porch about, I'd say, maybe a mile and a half away, and he just couldn't sleep that night. Like, he was just up, and he, he later told my parents, he's never been up a day past night in his life, but for some reason, he just couldn't sleep. So he was sitting on his porch, and he heard my truck flipping, and he immediately woke his son up, and they came to find us. And when they got to the accident scene, um, I guess Leanne, she was walking around with a broken tailbone, completely delusional, had no idea we were just in a car accident. She was actually telling the man to leave us alone, um, that we're just hanging out and like to go away. And But he sees me a little bit further away from her, laying on his stomach with my head turned around looking at him, and I was unconscious. He wasn't sure if I was alive. He couldn't tell if I was breathing. Um, but he did immediately call 911 um, so the ambulance could get there. I um, mean, getting, when they got there, um, they transferred me onto, I don't know what you call those boards, like with the stretcher or something. I don't know. But I guess um, they transferred me onto the board, and the guy that had actually um, come to find us, he said that they didn't transfer me properly, that that might have been where a lot more damage came from. But, you know, like I was unconscious, so, like, he didn't know. Like, you know, he's just saying that. It was just, you know, a very um, traumatizing time for yeah. him. So who knows exactly what he saw, um, but they put me in the ambulance and they put Leanne in another ambulance and they immediately transferred it to the hospital. Um, and getting to the hospital, um, she didn't know if I was alive or not because they wouldn't tell her HIPAA laws. They wouldn't tell her if I was okay. So she thought I died immediately and they wouldn't tell her otherwise. And then my parents, they got that phone call at 6.30 in the morning. And um, I'm not a parent like you are. But I do know that that's the worst phone call they've ever gotten. Because um, the, what the chaplain told them was very vague. They just said that I was in a serious accident and that it didn't look good and that they need to get there as soon as possible. And um, that was all they said. And, you know, so getting to the hospital, my parents had no idea what they were about to see. And um, getting there, it took them, I think, probably about... I think they said about five or six hours before they were allowed to see me because they were putting my neck into traction, which basically means that um, they knew I had broken my neck, but they didn't know exactly the damage that I did. So they screwed 40 pounds into the temples of my head to decompress the weight off my spinal cord and possibly prevent any further damage from happening. Um, and then the rest of it, it's all medical details from there. I was in and out of... Um, respiratory failure, I was immediately put on life support. Um, I never lost brain activity, um, but everything else, the full control of my body was immediately taken away just from the neck break itself with the spinal cord injury. And um, Do you want me to go into all the details? Well, of- now, now, do I mean... <laughs> Just, let me take a breath real quick after hearing that. There's so many details. <laughs> no, I mean it's just like it's it's just un, it's unbelievable that um, that I'm sitting here talking to you after after hearing that. Um, a a neck injury like that. I mean, basically you twisted your neck around, right? I mean that's. Um, in, I mean, basically, in a, in a basically, sense. basically, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm looking. There's there's actually an article I pulled up. It's it's from uh, OrlandoFamilyMagazine.com. And I was looking at it earlier before before um, you know we started talking, and there's actually a picture on there of one of the um, uh, what's it called uh, X-ray pictures of your of your neck. And, oh yeah, the X-ray. Yeah. yeah, and it and and I don't I don't even know I don't know what 
you know, to make out of it, but it is just crazy. I don't know if it's screws in, in there or if it's, it looks like, it looks like stitches almost like going, I don't know. I mean, I guess it is screws. Yeah. I'm looking at it right now. There's a couple of screws there and then there's screws basically all the way up the back, the back side of it. Um, I, I don't know. That's just, that's just unbelievable that, that there, I mean, that's, that's some good medical work, right? I mean, to be able to, yeah. to transfer you like that and then to get you in there and immediately, we called it traction. Is that right? Yeah. The traction was what they screwed into my so, head to take the weight off on my spinal cord before they did the surgery. So what, what does that mean? I'm just curious, like, I'm, I'm just interested in what, what is it, it? Can you, are you able to explain that what traction is? Like, well, okay. I was in a coma from the beginning, so I don't fully know. Like I've never really looked it up, but from what I was told, was that basically they screwed this 40-pound pulley to the back of my head that basically pulled my head back and took the weight off of my spinal column completely. And it took those 40 pounds to do that because um, they weren't sure the damage that I'd done. To my but it's basically just a, it's a pulley thing that hangs off the back of your head from being screwed onto the temples of your head, and it's just pulling the weight off of your spinal cord to prevent any more damage before they can open you up and... And actually get in there and actually get in there and like look and see what what the actual yeah. damage that was done okay yeah um wow um okay so 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 let's let's move on to i'm sure probably at this point by the time you wake up from the coma the last thing that you probably remember is that you were at a party or that maybe you were driving or i don't know maybe you don't remember any of it where where does that leave you once you wake up um start start right there for us all right, well, I started, I was in a coma for 10 days, and when I started regaining consciousness, I was actually getting off of a med flight with my mom. Because after the doctors had um, performed the surgery, and they told my parents that I'm a quadriplegic and I have a cervical-level spinal cord injury, which is um, one of the highest that I need to get to a hospital that specialized in my injury. So getting off of that med flight, I was now in Atlanta, Georgia, at the Shepherd um, spinal cord injury catastrophic hospital. Um, getting off that med flight, I, from breaking my neck, I lost all the ability from my neck down, all movement. So my respiratory support, um, I was hooked up to a ventilator just to breathe and I wasn't really able to talk. It was a very, very dull whisper, um, that I was able to, you know, speak out of. And I talked to my mom and I told her, I was like, I was like, mom, I feel so stupid. And she was like, what do you mean, Melissa? And I was just like, Mom, I feel so stupid. I kept arguing with God. And she was like, what do you mean you argued with God? I said, Mom, I just kept begging him to please let me go. Please let me go. And he kept telling me no, um, and that I will live and he will save me. And there will be many things I will do in his name. And after I told my mom that, although she had basically no idea what I just got my whole family into, uh, she got the peace that she needed. And she knew that somehow this was going to be okay. And getting off of that med flight, you know, and after talking to my mom, I started realizing, like, slowly over time that, one, I couldn't move anything below my neck, and, two, I couldn't feel anything either. Um, and it just didn't make sense because I remember being at a party. I remember driving home, but I don't remember ever getting home. And I don't remember ever getting into a car accident at all. I do remember being at that traffic light, and I remember the red infinity, and I remember brake lights, but I don't remember anything. I don't remember losing control. I don't remember my truck sliding off the road. I just don't remember any of it. And, you know, waking up to this reality and doctors and nurses and 
family members, friends, physical therapists, all these people just coming up to me and talking to me and telling me like, hey, like you broke your neck and you're a quadriplegic, you have a spinal cord injury, you're you're never going to walk again, you're never going to use your arms again, you're never going to itch your face, you're never going to go to the bathroom again on your own, get yourself dressed, you know, take showers. Everything you do as a physically able-bodied person, people were telling me would never, like, happen, like, would never be my life again. And it just didn't make sense because, you know, like, like I'm, I'm 18. I just graduated high school. College was starting in a week, like, you know. Like, everything was about to happen. Like, you know, like, I was growing up. And now my mom and dad have to see me naked again. Now people are giving me showers. They're helping me go to the bathroom. There's no sense of privacy. Like, and this is how it's going to be for the rest of my life. Like, what? Like, you know, like, that's not real. Like, people are born with disabilities. Like, I have two cousins with cerebral palsy, but they were born with their disabilities. Like, they were born having used wheelchairs. And I've never met somebody that made a mistake, broke their neck or broke their back, and bam, that's it. Like, it's over. Physically, you're left in a physical world, and you don't even get that opportunity to be physical again. Like, that just, it just didn't make sense. And I knew for sure that I was going to walk out of that hospital. I knew that, you know, this is just a nightmare. Like, this is like a fractured ankle. It's going to heal. It's going to get better. Um, but, you know, it didn't. And my doctor came in my room two months after being there, and he told me I was being discharged because they had done all they can do for me. And I just remember bawling, crying, because I didn't want to go home. Everybody knew about my injury. Everybody knew what happened. I was just in the newspaper. Um, like, this wasn't a trip and a fall. Like, I drank and I drove at 18. Like, I did this to myself. Like, that's embarrassing. I didn't want to come back to this reality. And there's not much I could do. Like, I couldn't kick and scream. I really was paralyzed. Um, I couldn't say no. And that's it. The trip was made. And I came home. And um, I would say that the reality of just, you know, trying to fully grasp what I did to myself just didn't really happen for about a year. And I could go into more details after that. Well, yeah. What What was that? I mean... What was that first year? What was it like? I mean, I'm sure I, it's kind of, I, I feel kind of dumb actually even asking that because I'm sure it was probably the most difficult time that you've ever experienced in your life. But like, l- l- let me rephrase that then. How did you get through that first year? Uh, it was miserable. That's probably, probably a year I would never go back to. I would go back to any commercial before I go back. I, um, friends were, you know, coming by to visit me. I now had a hospital bed that I would sleep in. Um, I had everything was all medical, like I had this wheelchair that was just so big, this power chair that was now the use of my arms and legs. I drove it with a straw because I had no arm movement and this straw I would breathe into just to make it go forward or like blow lightly to go left or breathe in lightly to go right. Like the mechanics of that thing was crazy and just having to learn how to use all these things and having friends slowly stop showing up and just growing up and, you know, going on to college and going on to things that I thought I should be doing, you know, I just felt so stuck. I felt like, you know, like everybody was living and like, why am I here living this life and I don't even get to be a part of anything? Like I now have to have my mom and dad help me with absolutely everything. If people wanted to hang out, that would mean that they'd have to come and pick me up and put me in this new minivan that my wheelchair would go right up into the back of. They'd have to drive me places. I couldn't just meet up with him. Like I, you know, once knew I, if I wanted to go do things that involve things like going to grab a coffee or going to the movies because all the physical things I once did, like 
that just wasn't an option anymore. And I hated every minute of it because, like, my mom is 40, and my mom would go on coffee dates with her friends. Like, I'm 18 years old. I don't go on coffee dates. Like, we go out and we do things. Like, we go have fun. Like, that's, that's the life I always knew before. So getting used to the yeah. more, I don't know, you know, just having the find new ways of having fun and then having friends give me a sip of my coffee because I couldn't do that either. Well, you, and, you had, know, I was just, well, I was just going to say, I mean, you, you, you had lost all self-dependence of everything, you know, that, that you were used to just, you know, I think you had touched on it earlier, all the, all of the little things that, you know, that, that we, as, as human beings, as people, men, women, that we take for granted, you know, just, just like you were saying, brushing your teeth or just these little things, um, you know, now, now this is something that you're having to come to terms with that you're having to ask your parents to help you with. And I, yeah. I can't really imagine like what, what that would be like, especially, um, you know, getting, getting adjusted to that. And like you said, it's not just a broken ankle. Like this isn't something that, you know, I'm going to throw a cast on it and, uh, six weeks later, it's going to be healed up. Um, now at the same time, um, I'm a firm believer that there's always hope for everything. And I'm a firm believer that there's always miracles that are made that, that people could never understand. Like how, you know, how did this miracle happen? Number one, it's a miracle that you live through this. Um, and number two, what I'd like to ask you next is, um, you know, so once, once you get through, you know, this first year, maybe this first two years of, of adjusting to this completely new life that God has has basically sent you back for now. Um, do you believe that, do you believe that God has a purpose for all of us? And do you believe that, um, you know, do you believe that your situation, like you were put there for a reason and you were, you were put in this position, you know, to help others. Like, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. I am a firm believer that there's a purpose behind everything in, one thing that I'm, I've always told myself, and I think I um, formulated this little thought process in, in back in 2010, was that, you know, God did not create my situation. He did not create this by any means. He only allowed it, and He allowed it just with the hope that I see can bring all glory back to Him, even through the heartache, because I did this to myself. Like, I made that mistake. Like, I drank and I drove. Did I know this was going to happen? No, but I still made that choice. You know, every choice has a consequence, and I think we're, um, we as humans, I think we make things more difficult than they are because choices are pretty black and they're pretty white. Like, you know, you're either right or they're wrong. And if you get caught up in making wrong ones, it is going to catch up to you. It's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when, because it will happen. So, you know, we just got to know, um, you know, when we, like, when we need to, like, really think about what we're doing. And as far as, you know, God having a purpose behind something like this happening, like, I'm a firm believer that God has rescued me because I was not on a good path. Was I a bad person? No, not at all. Like, I was just a kid, 18 years old, just a teenager, just doing the normal things, or, we you know, at least what society calls normal. And um, he, that's not where I was supposed to be. And I don't know where I would have ended up being if this didn't happen. And I'm, I, that just kind of kind of scares me to try and think about, you know, what I would be doing right now. Would I even be alive? Because... When I tell you I was fearless, I was so fearless. Nothing scared me. I had no fear of anything. As the things happening, bad things happening, like, you know, that wasn't going to happen to me because I'm Melissa. Like, you know, like, I, I do whatever I want to do. And 
as far as getting hurt, like whatever, if I break a leg, I break a leg, it'll get better. Like I just had no fear. And that's kind of scary to look back and think that I was as fearless as I was because there's a difference between being um, fearful and just being fearless because I, if I could just tap back into my old self and be like, hey, like you need a little bit of a wake up call, like, you know, like this is reality, like bad things will happen to you if you don't get your act together and, you know, to start making more positive choices and realizing that, you know, this life isn't about you, like you're here for other people. And the fact that we're here for other people, it ends up benefiting ourselves. Like, even now to this day, I wake up with a mindset, like, okay, what am I going to attack today? Um, am I going to try and give, like, people hope? Like, am I going to work on my recovery? Like, what am I going to do today? Like, how can I make somebody else's day better? And by the end of the day, once I make somebody else's day better, oh, my gosh, what it does for myself is amazing. And, I'm mean, like, I'm not even living to please myself, and I am at the same time. Like, you know, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's I, I, I really, I really like that too because, um, you know, I, I feel like in something that I work on as well is w- when I can help other people, then I can get out of my own self, you know, and that's what tends to get me in trouble is when I get caught up in my own self and my own thoughts yeah. and stuff starts manifesting and. You know, um, and it's usually over over stupid things, anyways. You know, so when I'm when I'm focused on doing doing good deeds and doing good things for other people and showing love and uh, and hope and positivity, that's that's like the true fulfillment in you know in in the soul, I think. And um, one one other thing I want to tell you is this, um, you know, just I I really like, and I mean this honestly. I know we don't know each other well, but. Like the amount of respect I have for you for just being 23 years old. How are you 23 or 24? I'm 24. I'm actually turning 25 next week. I'm getting nice. Older. Nice. Well, happy early birthday to you on the 25th. Um, uh-huh, thank you. I'm excited to pull in another year. Thank you yeah. for every birthday. No, I, absolutely. And uh, well, just, I mean, to be, you know, 25 and to sit here after what you've been through and, and completely genuinely take full responsibility and say, you know, I made this choice. God didn't hand this to me, you know, for it's not him that did it to me. I made this decision. Um, you know, the amount of courage that takes and the amount of honesty and the amount of, um, just of, just of self, um, man, I don't even know what the word is, but just, it's, it's really amazing to me that you're able, able to do that. And it really, um, it really just, it's really positive and it's really hopeful and it does, it does tend to show other people that, you know, you have to stand up and you have to take responsibility for yourself and your actions and what you do in order to change your life, in order to live the life that you're supposed to live. And the other reason I bring that up too is because I just, you know, I just know that there's so many people out there that just have the hardest time, you know, being honest with themselves and, and being able to do that. Some people, you know, live till their eighties and they can never, ever do something like that. So for you to be able to do that after what you've been through, like, is just, it's unbelievable to me. So, uh, mad respect for that. I definitely appreciate it. You know what I mean? Just, you know, after everything happened, you know, you're given two options and it's just as simple as two options. You give up or you just give it all you got. And that's totally up to you. Nobody's going to make your day better other than yourself. And motivation alone is a day by day process. You have to wake up every single morning. You have to say, you know what? I'm going to do this. Today could be the big day. Today could could be a bad day for all. I don't know what today's going to hold, but you have to wake up every day and you just got to fight it. And then, you know, it's a beautiful thing that we have each other to get through it because 
I, I I get a lot of my encouragement just from other people being around me. And they could be saying nothing at all. But just the fact that I have people there with me, and whether they, you know, whether they're on the same path as I am or whether we're all just helping each other get through it, just the fact that we have each other there, like, it's such a beautiful thing. And I love that you love hope because hope is so real. And, you know, hope, I think that, like, I, I feel like people don't even really understand what hope is. Like, for me, personally, hope is not some, like, little made-up, like, oh, let me wish for this. Let me hope this happens. Let me just, you know, just let life happen or whatever. No, that's not what hope is. Hope is not some made-up wish for any factory. Hope, to me, is just knowing and expecting and working for, you know, a better tomorrow and a better future and, like, expecting God to show up because the minute that I don't expect God to show up is the minute that God's going to go, well, where are you, Melissa? Like, I, I have to wake up every day and live for Him and live for what He wants me to do and expect Him to be there at the same time because He will. And the minute we expect God to be there, the minute He's going to be there all the time. And I I also, like, I you know, it's hard, you know, to see God all the time everywhere. But to me, God is so much like the wind because sometimes the wind is blowing and it's blowing so forcefully. And then there's so many days where there's no wind at all. And it doesn't mean the wind's not there. We're still breathing, right? Like, there's obviously oxygen, and the wind is still there, but we just can't necessarily feel it. But that doesn't mean it's not there, and that's exactly how I think God is with us. Like, He's still there. We just can't always feel Him, but He never has left our side. And we have to remember that. We have to 100% remember that He is right there the whole time, just holding our hand, walking with us through these trials and through this pain and depression and bumpy roads of life because after every mountain and after every high point there's always the next valley you got to go back down through and they are very low points but you know what's after that valley it's another high mountain it's another peak of life it's another good time like you know like it's just up and down but it's a, it is a beautiful journey you just got to see the beauty in that journey yeah, if uh, that's that's great because too if you life is such a roller coaster and if you can really learn to um you know learn to deal with the valleys as well as the peaks, you know that's what yeah. it's about. It is about that journey. I mean, what what happens if um if you just got to the end and you know all of a sudden you you met your you snapped your fingers and you were at the end of your goal, well, you, you wouldn't have been through those struggles, through those those good times, those bad times to get to that end result. And I think a lot of us get lost. Um, you know, I know, I know for myself, I'm always so focused, uh, on the next best thing. What am I going to be doing now? What am I going to be doing, you know, later? And it's very easy to lose sight of, of the moment, you know? And so it's, it's very important to stay conscious in that. And, uh, God, I mean, you're so right on, on walking with God, you know, and letting him kind of lead us and putting our faith in him and letting him, you know, okay, God, like this is today's, you know, today's a new day. Like, um, what do you have in store for me? You know, what, what can I give to other people? And if we can really just focus on that attitude, I mean, man, it just, it does something internally to you. At least it does for me. So I I gotta remember to speak for myself sometimes, but, uh, um, so let's, uh, what, let's, let's talk a little bit about what you're doing, um, what you're doing these days, Melissa, like where, where can uh, folks find you? Do you have a Twitter, a Facebook, a, a website? Um, if anyone wanted to contact you, um, and how are you helping to, to, to share your story with other people and have an impact? So, uh, maybe this, maybe this helps some other families out there in the future. Yeah, definitely. Well, 
currently I am, um, I'm still living this beautiful thing called life and I'm not, I'm, how do I word it? So as far as recovery goes, like where I am physically, I'm still a quadriplegic. Not much has changed in that aspect. I have regained a little bit of arm movement where I'm able to do simple things like use my cell phone. Like that was amazing to have the iPhone, you know, blow up and touch screen. You don't have to push buttons because my fingers don't work and it takes things like touch screen to make life possible. So I am able to use an iPhone. I'm able to do things like feed myself and brush my teeth. I am, like I said, I don't have any finger function. So I wear like a little wrist brace that holds on to a fork that slides right into it or my toothbrush slides right in. Um, I do a couple things. Like I recently started trying to attempt doing eye makeup. Um, it's a little dangerous because I don't want to become a blind quadriplegic. So I don't, do, <laughs> I don't do eye makeup as much as I should. Um, it's just, it's a little scary. So I, I'm working on those little goals like that. Um, just trying to every day get a little bit more and more independent, but it is frustrating. It's very frustrating actually to work on functional things and yeah. like, I don't know, it's just frustrating because you just want to be like, oh, why can I not do this? Well, what about but painting? I, I read I read that you um, that you do a lot of painting now. So how about that? Is that something yeah. very therapeutic and something that, um, you know, you, you are able to do? Yes, and that's exactly why I do do it because I'm able to do it. And I picked up painting after I got discharged from my occupational therapy back in 2013 or 12. I don't remember the year anymore. It's all a blur, but... It's okay. It, it gets it gets worse ago. as you get older too. Don't don't. <laughs> I know. So my mom keeps telling me I'm like a lovely. Um, but yeah, painting. I I love to paint because it's a blank canvas every single time. Like I get to decide what I want to put on there. Nobody knows it's a mistake unless I tell them. And you know, it's just a fresh start every single time. If I don't like it, I can cover it up. And you know, it it is it's very mentally therapeutic as well as um, physically therapeutic because I get to work out my arms and you know, feel that burning in the top of my shoulder yeah. and just the drive just to keep going and just, you know, like, what can I do next? Like, that's why I love painting because it's never finished. Like, I can always do something more and that's totally up to me. I'm like, I like, I'm the one that gets to decide, you know, like, you know, is this over? Like, is it done? Should I start something new? So, you know, it's cool because it's just, it's just a fun therapeutic healing thing, like you mentioned. And, um, I love every minute of it. I, I, I've currently been able to start selling a couple paintings. Um, I do have some on my website. My website, if you want me to go into that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, right now, like, okay, my website is actually my name. It's just www.melissaannwalsh.com. And um, I could, do you want me to spell that out? Yeah, that, yeah that, that'd be great. All right, so it's just spelled M-E-L-I-S-S-A and then another A-N-N. W A L S H. So it's just Melissa Ann Walsh, my name. And on that website, you know, I just, I just have a little quick little bio, you know, like where I am, where I'm going, like, you know, currently for my abilities or, you know, physical abilities or speaking. I do a lot of speaking. That's another thing I can go into. I decided, you know, like, actually, let me, let me take a step back for a second. After, um, not after, three weeks, three weeks before I got injured. I actually woke up in the middle of the night and um, I called my best friend because, you know, you wake up and you have a crazy dream. Well, sometimes you just got to tell somebody. Yeah. Well, I called her and I was like, Kristen, like, I just had the craziest dream. I think I know what I want to do when I grow up. Because, you know, like I said, college is getting ready to start. 
So this was something on our mind, you know, like, what are we going to do with our lives? And um, I told her, I was like, I just had the craziest dream I think I've ever had. Like, I, I know what I want to do when I grow up. And she tried to get off the phone and be like, Melissa, come on, it's midnight, like, I'm sleeping. <laughs> and I was like, no, this you got to listen. Like, this is real. Like, I had this dream. I was speaking to this high school, and there was, like, thousands of students. And I was talking about drinking and driving and doing drugs. And she was like, but Melissa, you don't do drugs. And I was like, yeah, I was like, I know, I know. I was like, these kids, like, they were listening to me, and they were getting it. And I was like, at this podium, and I don't know what I was saying or exactly what was going on, but I was talking about, you know, drinking and driving and doing drugs, and, like, the students were getting it, and they were listening to me, and I think I really want to do that when I grow up. And she was like, that's weird. And I was like, yeah, I was like, that's so weird, right? I was like, that was so cool. Like, I think I'm going to do that. And she was like, okay, Melissa, like, I'll see you tomorrow. And then I never thought twice about that dream again. Never brought it up, nothing, until the night after my injury and I was in surgery and my best friend told my mom that dream. And we just couldn't believe it because it was exactly drinking and driving that landed me in this position I would now call life. And, you know, so um, I realized that, you know, I do have a story now and I need to help people make better choices. So I would say it took about probably a year um, to realize that maybe I could, like, get involved with, like, some organization or somebody who can, like, get this thing started and just see where it can take me. So I just made an outreach, and I started just emailing local high school administrators. Um, I emailed um, Mothers Against Drunk Driving, and I was like, I was like, you know, like, I'm only 19 at the time. I was like, I'm not a mother. I didn't lose somebody. But I do have a story from drinking and driving. But the difference is I did this to myself. I'm I'm not a victim. I'm I'm not somebody that wants pity. Like, you know, like like I screwed up and I made a bad mistake and I just want to help somebody not end up in my position because you know it's not worth it. You don't want to be in my shoes or kind of clean my wheels. Like you don't you just don't need this journey and people can learn in so many other ways than, you know, doing what they did to myself, like doing than what I did to myself. So, you know, I just had a contact, uh, contact with people, and it just took off from there. And currently, I'm still affiliated with Matt. I speak to them on a pretty weekly basis. Um, to, I've been to high schools, middle schools. I speak to DUI offenders, um, typically once or twice a month. And these are people from all walks of life. I've had somebody as young as 16 all the way up until, like, in their 80s, and they just made a mistake. Whether they drink and drove a million times, and it finally caught up to them, or even people this was just their first time, people that have even just slept in their car after a night of drinking and they got a DUI because they were in their car. Like, all different stories. People that have just, you know, had to learn in a very difficult way, and um, then I go up there and I speak to them, and I'm like, you know, like, the worst didn't happen to you, and the worst didn't happen to me either. Like, I could have done a lot more damage than what I did. I could have killed my friend that night. Mm -hmm. I could have killed myself. I could have killed somebody else on the road. Like I, I could have, I could have done mental damage to myself instead of physical, where I'd be trapped in my mind instead of my body. And, and I thank God every day. It all stems too from just like you said, just one bad decision. And my my yep. uh, my drug and alcohol counselor James, uh, he would say that often. He would say, "You and I, you know, I got 17 years of sobriety, and you got three months, or, or you got or, or uh, three weeks." And the, it doesn't, it, who gives a shit? It doesn't mean jack shit. 
<laughs> we're both one bad decision away from total destruction. You know, and it's so true. Like we 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 take that yeah. and we like. I mean, look at you. You've you've experienced this. You know, a good young woman on a good path, and like just this one mistake, and your life completely changes. And I, I took my daughter; she's four, on a little walk just um, just before we got started. And I was telling her that um, you know that I was going to talk with you today. And I kind of, I kind of, I mean, she's young, obviously, but I kind of tried to explain to her, like, yeah, you know, this is kind of what happened happened to Melissa, and we're going to talk about it today. And I tried to tell her, and I, I don't know, maybe she'll get it later on down the road, but just about doing the next right thing. Like it's important for us to to think about stuff critically, you know, if we can, and not not always. Um, you know, just spur of the moment, boom, because you never know what's going to happen. And I think there's a very thin line in between that because, you know, you can't obviously reactions happen sometimes. And sometimes you do have to move on a, in a split second or, you know, whatever the case may be. But uh, it's just it's just so important for us to to really think about what is the right thing to do? What is the right decision? You know? Yeah. And that's um, just exactly what it comes down to, just those decisions. They can make or break you. Um, so where so if if somebody wanted to to check some of your paintings out, I'm I'm interested in these, so they can go to your website. Um, is there a place for them to to buy some of the paintings on there too? Um, yeah, there is I believe at the bottom there is my contact email. Okay. Uh, which I, that isn't working right now. Like I'm receiving the emails, but for some reason I'm not able to reply to them from that email, but I, I do reply to my personal email. Um, currently, as far as painting goes, I don't have anything new right now um, that I'm working on because I'm involved with school. I'm working on my bachelor's degree, so I haven't had as much time to paint as I would like to, and I only have a certain amount of hours a day like, for help, you know, because I, re- I require other people's help to help me, you know, set up my little painting tray and change yeah. out the colors and brushes for me. So I don't have as much help as I would like, um, but I am still painting, and people are more than um, able to request a painting if they want to, and then you know, I give them prices or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's just something I'm doing as a hobby right now, and I, I love every minute of it. So that's on my website. Yeah, I as think well as- I think it's great that you're doing that, and I just I just want to reiterate to um, you know to anybody listening out there who might be interested, if you want to support Melissa, you can check her paintings out. Um, and like, I think you were just saying, yeah, you can request anything. Is that, is that the case? Yeah, pretty much whatever. I mean, I'm definitely not Picasso. I I do (laughs) what I can do. Um, but I mean, I like, I love flowers. I really love flowers. I do a lot of sunflowers. Um, that's one of my favorite things, but I've done everything. Like you name it, I've done it. I've done, it's not, probably not like anything as detailed as like somebody's face. I haven't attempted that. Or even like a land thing with like a house and trees, that's a little hard. So yeah. like I'm I'm still working on it, but I mean it's getting better every day. Well <laughs> man, yeah, this is just it's really really amazing to, to talk to you and to hear your story and thank you so much for sharing it uh with with everybody. Uh, I think it's very important. Oh, wow. It's a very important story to hear and um it's just so awesome that you're helping to change lives and to open some some people as well as young kids up too you know to to the seriousness of drinking and driving of just drinking in general at at a young age too because i think it has just become such this counterpart of our society you know it's so accepted um and and unfortunately there's there's some um you know there's some really bad things that end up happening sometimes 
Um, yeah. So it's, it's sad that that's not the awareness. So, like, the awareness is all brought to, oh, yeah, go ahead, drink, have fun, but nothing bad will happen, right? I mean, yeah. often does that's just not what they show. But, yeah, people just got to know when you turn 21, you got your whole life to drink. You have absolutely your whole life to drink. There's no reason to mess it up now at these young ages or even mm-hmm. any age. You got to know, like, if you're not able to handle drinking responsibly, then it is always safe or sober. And that is just how it is. I would one hundred. I was going to say I would one hundred percent agree with that. That's that's for sure. Um, Well, I think I'd like to end like this. Uh, If you could give one one piece of advice to some kid out there listening right now, or some person in general, you know, what what would you say to them? I would just say, you know, sometimes you just got to let go, and you just got to let God. And when I say sometimes, I mean all the time. You know, this life it's. It's not easy for anybody. I don't care who you are, who you know, or what you go through. Nobody has it easy. And while some things may look easier, nobody has it easy. And that's why we're here. And that we're just here to help each other get through it. And you got to make sure that no matter what you go through, you can never inhale impossible because nothing is impossible. I don't, I look, like I said, I don't know anybody's journey. I don't know their struggles. I don't know what you wake up to every single day, but like I said, nobody has it easy. You just cannot inhale impossible. Hope is alive, and hope is the greatest thing ever because you never know what hope is going to bring. You never know what's around that corner, and just because you can't see what's after that bend in the road doesn't mean that it's not there. Like There is bad things will end. They will come and they will go. We just have to keep our eyes ahead of us and just keep looking up because God is with you and he has not left your side and you can't leave his. And I just want people to know that like, I love them and I love every bit of them and not because for any other reason than like, you know, like they woke up this morning and you woke up to fight another day. And I love people just for that alone because it's not easy to get up sometimes, but the fact that they got up and then they woke up and that they're ready to just face whatever today's going to hold. I love people for every bit of that. I just want people to know that I love them and that I'm here for anybody that needs somebody to talk to. I gave you my website email or, or my email is on my website. I mean, you're more than welcome to email me if anybody just needs like a little ray of encouragement or just somebody to vent to. Um, that's about it. I mean, I'm just thankful for this experience that I'll be able to be on your show today. Yeah, Melissa, thank you so much for coming on. Um, you just, uh, I really admire you and I admire your courage and your honesty uh, you're a beautiful young woman, and I really do wish you the best, um, you know, in your in your future with everything that you do. And I have a feeling we'll keep in touch. I would really, I'd really like to do that, actually. And um, just uh, thanks again, uh, folks. Go to www.melissaandwalsh.com. Uh, the email address is on there. Check out some of her paintings. You can read a little bit more about her story. Uh, Melissa, thanks again. Thank you so much, Shane. I appreciate every bit of it. This has been another episode of That Sober Guy Podcast on Recovery Radio with Shane Raymond. For more information, visit www.thatsoberguy.com or you can email Shane at sobriety at thatsoberguy.com. Thanks again for listening and enjoy a sober, healthy, happy life.